Hi, I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Today, I'm continuing this kind of series that I've been doing typically the third week of every month, where I'm kind of talking about different ways to deal with body disposition. There's so much changing in that field, and there's so many interesting possibilities. And a few of the diving down angles of that include what can you do with cremated remains. So I'm joined today by Alexandra Drow. Alexandra is the Director of Outreach and Education at Parting Stone. Hi, Alexandra. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited because I think, I just think you've got a lot to share about this new um, possibility for what to do with cremated remains. And, you know, I kind of a couple of weeks ago put up in my social media, this funny picture of like a closet with boxes with people's names on them, you know, Mm -hmm. here's aunt Betty and here's mom. I think a lot of us get in this bind of having cremated remains of loved people or loved pets that we don't know what to do with. Yes. Yes, that's actually funny enough how Parting Stone got started. So our CEO is Justin Crow, and he lost his grandfather a couple of years ago and was active in planning the memorial and as an artist was very naturally curious about what was happening in his world and started talking about the experience of loss and grief and the funeral planning process and and what happens and what people choose. And a lot of his friends who had chosen cremation had these stories about, oh, well, yeah, we cremated my dad a couple of years ago. I don't know where those ended up. Maybe someone picked them up from the funeral home or, oh, yeah, we found grandma in my aunt's garage cleaning it out for a yard sale a few years ago and everyone had forgotten where she... And Justin was just like, there has to be a better way to honor our loved ones when we choose cremation for them or they choose cremation for themselves. And there has to be a better way to interact with these human remains. It's one of our most precious possessions, but the form of granular, quote unquote, ashes is not very comfortable or comforting. There are bone fragments. They can blow away in the wind. You have fear of spilling them somewhere. And so he, as a ceramics artist, realized that the material itself was pretty similar to some of the ingredients that used to make clay. And so it was like, there's got to be a way to actually change these remains themselves. And We got a grant to work at Los Alamos National Labs with a scientist there who works with ceramics that go like on rocket ships and into space and stuff. And Dr. Chen helped us figure out how to turn cremated remains into solidified remains. And so now families can have stones that are safe to hold in touch, that don't break down in water, and that are a more eco-conscious scattering option um, instead of traditional cremains when they choose cremation. I just love that. I mean, when someone told me, hey, check out Parting Stones and what their website has to offer, I found it really beautiful because I'm kind of one of those stone collectors. Like I just Mm -hmm. pick up beautiful rocks when I see them, you know, by a river or by a a lake and, and just holding them and touching them. And I thought it was really interesting on your, on your website, you show that different cremated remains actually create unique rocks and different colored of colored rocks. I mean, I'm sure they don't range too widely, but everyone is a little bit of a unique footprint. Do they really like are some brown and some are gray and some are white? Yes. So that's a really good point. Um, We do the exact same process to every single order that comes through our lab. We don't do any customizations. We don't 
add anything except a very small amount of natural binder. It's like a mineral that's mined directly from the earth and it's very, very minute in the overall volume. And we find a huge range of colors and textures. Each order is truly as unique as the person that it was. That's so beautiful. Yeah, we've had rose quartz kind of color. I mean, not clear, but like pinky white. We've had eggplant. We've had bright orange and red. We've had brown. We've had black and white marbled. We've had aquamarine. Every every color of the rainbow we've had. And um, I would say like a majority of the orders do turn out to be a white or an off-white color because, you know, cremains are mostly bone and calcium. And so that makes sense. But, and we actually have no idea what makes the ones that turn bright colors do that might be metals might be what you were cremated with it might be you know your diet your whole life and what your bones absorbed or what medication you were on or where you lived geographically we just don't have enough data to know what makes that happen yet so families really love the the unboxing or the unveiling of their solidified remains to see how their really? how their person turned out and, mm-hmm. and tell us like for listeners who are just hearing this what you know what size are these stones and mm-hmm. you get more than one stone if you order oh, yes. this yes that's that's always funny to me and and something that i think because I worked in the lab for so long and I'm so familiar with this. I've been with the company since 2019. So um, I take for granted that it is a collection of stones and you get very many. A lot of people are like, so it's one big stone? How heavy? It? No, it's it's a collection of stones. That each order yields between 50 and 70. So And they range in size from about a silver dollar to about my palm. So a lot of them are, they feel really nice. We wanted them to be a really comforting tactile experience. So they're very smooth. They're slightly cool to the touch. Uh, Some of them do have what I call like a moon rock texture with little craters that are really nice to feel. Um, and they, yeah, they fit in your palm nicely. They're really comforting to just hold on to one. We have stories from a lot of families that I just keep one in my pocket and it's like a worry stone or I keep one in my car. I actually have a desk set up downstairs in my house as well. And I solidified my cat a couple of years ago who passed away in 2017 and uh, I keep her on my desk and sometimes pick her up and it's like, I'm still getting to pet her while I work, you know, because she used to sit in my lap and, yeah, so so you have many, you can share them, which is one of the great benefits of choosing solidified remains is that it's much easier to share and we are finding that community grieving experiences are really helpful for a lot of people and are highly desired. And so instead of getting all these tiny little urns that funeral directors have to like funnel cremains into everyone can just pick which stone speaks to them and that they feel a connection to and take it away. And, and everyone who's grieving together can have that shared experience, which we're getting lots of feedback from families that that's really uh, wonderful and powerful. So beautiful. It's just so interesting. I love it. I just love this idea of solidified remains that you can then um, you can use them outside. It sounds mm-hmm. like you can yes. use them inside. You could set them in a plant. You could set them on a desk. Are there any kind of unusual things you've heard of people doing? Oh yes, a lot of families with young children are gravitating towards having the young children paint on them, uh, <laughs> which is funny. Um, we had one young person in their twenties recently whose dad passed away, and 
their mom chose parting stone without telling them and then just sent them a couple of stones and they were like, what? And they made this TikTok video where they put googly eyes on the stone and were like, it's my dad. And the, the video actually kind of went viral. It got like 3 million views or something. And <laughs> I, I saw that. Yeah. I think it showed up somewhere. Oh, that's we loved funny. it. You know, I, I love to see how creative people are. We have a lot of requests for are some of them going to be flat so that we can skip them because he loved skipping stones and we have a, a place where we're going to go have a memorial by the, by the lake or yeah, we've had one of my favorite stories ever still is one of our first families actually back in 2020, a woman named Chris lost her son, Tom, who wanted to do the Amtrak Southwest chief, the whole line and stop at every stop. And he passed away before he was able to complete that. And so it's a project of Chris and her partners that they're going to do the line and leave a stone at every depot. And that one just gives me chills. You know, Mm. um, we have a lot of people that travel to places and like leave stones. We have a lot of people that travel back to homesteads and leave stones there. We have a wide range of people that give us stories about the creative ways that they've been able to ritualize grieving just because the format of the remains is more comfortable. Yes. Yes. That's actually a beautiful way to put it. It's like this thing you can handle and Mm -hmm. share and take places and Mm -hmm. you could set it on a mountain. You could come back and pick it up later if somebody else hadn't picked it up. How, Alexandra, how did you get into this work? What's the, what's the story of how you came to this in 2019? Well, that's a funny question. I, I could go all the way back to my childhood actually, because it's oddly connected, but I'll try and give you a condensed version. So I grew up in Alabama And my grandparents actually lived next to the city cemetery. So I grew up having friends over and like playing tag in like literally amongst the headstones. And so I've always been very death curious because it was just very close in proximity to me. And I was asking my grandparents, who is this? Who is that? And I had a lot of ancestors in that cemetery from um, really like starting in the early 1900s. It's a relatively old Southern cemetery. And so have always been death curious, got to high school, was the Sylvia Plath reading, misfits listening, Edgar Allan Poe kind of goth, you know, person. And then I I lost my mom to uh, suicide, actually, when I was 18 and a freshman in college and was actually confronted with the reality of death and loss and not just poetic Edgar Allan Poe stories, you know, for the first time and um, was a visual art major in college. And that loss and the impact of my, you know, disenfranchised grief as a college student, as someone who was the child of a suicide death and the experience of planning a funeral as a non-religious young person in Alabama as well and dealing with that um, really affected my artwork. And so I started making all of my sculpture about death, ephemerality, loss, all of these things. I did a big genealogy project at that city cemetery and a few others around Alabama and actually sculpted with dirt from my mom and other people's graves that I was related to. And then went to grad school and then moved to Santa Fe and met Justin and heard about this idea that he had before Parting Stone was even a thing. He was like in the middle of writing the grant with Los Alamos. And I was just like, this is death. This is art. This is literally made for me. Like, And so I told him like, when you're hiring people, you give me a call. And, and about a year later, everything came full circle. And I started working in the lab and it felt really, really meaningful and powerful 
and therapeutic for me to be able to use my formal training as an artist to hand form the stones and give other people a better experience than I had in a time of grief. And um, it really helped me. And then that death curiosity just kept growing and I started writing articles for Justin and then I moved into the content manager position and now I do all of this research in and about the death care space. I give talks at conferences around the country about innovation, about parting stone, about ritual, about grieving, about how to support the LGBTQ plus community, how about, you know, how to make death more eco-friendly, all these things that are really important to me. And so it's just been like one big escalator ride my entire life to where I am right now, which is super cool. <laughs> That's, that's, wow, what a story. I, I think it's really powerful. Almost everyone I talk to who works in the end of life um, field, it started for them really young. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so powerful. I love one of Caitlin Dowdy's books, her dedication at the, in the mm -hmm. front is a dedication to her parents. Mm -hmm. and, and she says something like, for all the parents who let weird kids be weird. Yep. And I just, I just love that. That just moved me. So I want to go back to a phrase you use because I've heard it and I would love to hear more about what it means, what it meant for you and what it means. So I, I know this phrase like anticipatory grief. And I yeah, think that's right. a really big thing that people experience when someone has a terminal diagnosis. Absolutely. So that, that I understand. Disenfranchised grief. Tell yeah. us more about that. Absolutely. So I, um, one of my dear friends, Dr. Sarah Murphy is a thanatologist and thanatology professor and educator and specializes in disenfranchised grief. And so I've actually learned about it through her and realized that that is what I experienced as a young person and even sometimes still today. It's when someone is grieving and the social response to their experience and their grief somehow makes them feel like shame around their feelings and like they shouldn't be grieving or um, they shouldn't be feeling the way that they do in their grief. So when we say, oh, well, at least your deceased loved one is not in pain anymore, we're disenfranchising that person's grief. We're telling them, well, maybe it's better that they died. And so you shouldn't be so sad or, you know, yeah, at least they're not suffering anymore or even they're around, in a better place. Right. Yeah. Even around our animals. I was thinking about this yes. recently because my parents just lost their big old beloved golden yes. retriever. You know, she started to fail. They had to put her down. And, and I, and so I was thinking about them and the power of pets and how important they are to us. And I yes. do think there's a lot of disenfranchised grief around loss of pets. 100%. In some ways they are huge, huge companions for us. And to either for yourself or have other people say, well, you know, she was just a dog, you know, well, yes. And <laughs> yes. And like my cats have gotten me through some of the hardest times in my life. I mean, Thinking back to the beginning of the pandemic when I was working at Parting Stone and was very, very lucky to not be out of a job, but we were in a warehouse. There was only like two other lab employees. We were all in like masks and jumpsuits and far, far away from each other. And I went for six weeks without touching another human being. And at the end of that six weeks, I'm a very social, community-based, tactile touch is my main love language, you know, even in friendships kind of thing. I was coming home from work and just like sobbing and holding my cats to my chest just to feel something else that had a heartbeat and was breathing. And, you know, they, they really got me through that and they've moved with me across the country. I mean, I, 
huge. Yeah, I've had Ponchito since 2014. That's the longest relationship I've ever had. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. That's that's helpful. I've, like I said, I've heard that term and I do think um, suicide is a huge place for disenfranchised grief. Yes. And I, I, um, there was a, a young man in um, here where I live in Boulder who recently died by suicide you know, and knew a many, many people at one of the high schools. And I was really moved by the way his family decided to handle it, which was yes. to be very direct about yes. how he died, why he died, how they felt. Because um, I think only by sort of moving out of the silence and the shame can we shift it. But what Absolutely. courage that takes, you know, what courage. Absolutely. Yes. Suicide. I mean, HIV, stigmatized death, um, overdose, all of these different things can really cause issues for the grievers who are left behind if we as a society don't know how to talk about and how to support. I recently went through celebrant training with Insight Institute and Glinda Stansberry, who's amazing. And her dad, Doug Manning, we, we got to watch videos of him during the training and he has this thing that he calls the bucket. And like when someone is in their grief and they're in their lowest place and they're experiencing all of these difficult emotions, pain, sorrow, suffering, they're in this bucket and it's, it's full. And when we say something like, oh, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. It's like, we're just trying to pour more water in their bucket that's already full and it's not helpful. But in, what would help instead is to get in their bucket with them and just to be like, that must be so hard. Yeah. I'm not trying to fix anything for you. I'm not trying to make you feel better. I yeah. see you and I hear you and I hold you exactly where you are. And, yeah. and, you know, I think that if we can get more people there, we're going to have healthier relationships with grief in general. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I have another question about parting stone, the process, jumping back to that. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's great. These, where we're going is so powerful. Um, I love on the Parting Stone website, you have this wonderful little graphic of mm -hmm. how here's an urn and it goes into a box and then it goes through the chemical yes. process that turns it into a stone. I just, mm -hmm. I just wanted to shout out a little kudos to that because I think that visual is just so real and it's so fun because you're just kind of scrolling down the page of the website and then you're like, oh, wait, that graphic is moving and changing. Yes. There is now aquamation and I yes. know aquamation creates a different kind of um, more of a powdery remain. Right. Are you able to use aquamation remains in your parting stone process? That's a really great question. We, this is actually a funny story. My very first day after training, working in the parting stone labs in 2019, I, at this point was the only one in the lab and, and our lab manager, Kelsey was finally like, you're ready. Here's the, your first order. Do it on your own. I open up the plastic bag and I was like, this smells different. This smells wrong. This feels different. This feels very weird. And so I immediately was like, Kelsey's going to think I'm, I don't know what to do, but this is really weird. And so I went up to Kelsey and was like, why, why is this different? What's going on here? And it turned out to be in our very first alkaline hydrolysis order. And so we, we tried the process and it is, it's not the same. Uh, we need to change some things between flame cremation and aquamation. So it took us a few years. We know how to do both now, but we don't have the facility and the equipment to do high volume alkaline hydrolysis orders. So right now, oh, 
bless you. <laughs> right now, we are still saying no alkaline hydrolysis, but it's coming. We just need to get a few more pieces of machinery, a few more pieces of equipment, and have those labs be a little bit more separated because awesome. the process is different. And that's just because in flame cremation, a very it, the the bones are burned. They they come out of a cremation retort. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to say that gently, but yeah, they're yeah. they're completely burned, and all of the you know raw organic matter has been burned away, and what's left is really just that calcium. Whereas with aquamation, because it's done in water with alkaline solution, um, the the skeleton comes out clean, but it's not, and it's dried with a small amount of heat, but nothing like a cremation retort, and so there is organic materials like marrow and fat and stuff that's still yeah. in those bones. And so that reacts very differently in our chemical process than, than something that's completely dried out. Makes um, total sense. Makes exactly. Total sense. So well, there are just a few extra steps that we need to be able to do in our facility. Sure. And it may even be that parting stones ability to offer that is connected to an increase in alkaline hydrolysis yes. use. I mean, if you yes. were to just get one a month, it's yes. not really worth the facility. So right. we'll see what right. happens over time. I think it's interesting that I have read some statistics that cremation is is on the rise. Oh, yeah. And even though people talk a lot about green burial, it still isn't the choice for most people. So I do still think this place of what to do with cremated remains begins to be this or continues to be this really interesting question. And I love Absolutely. that Parting Stone um, and your founder and the, the work that you started in the lab and now do as director of outreach and education. Um, it, I just think this is a really neat option that more people should know about. I, I agree. And I, I have a lot I could say about that statement. You know, yes, we have very, very highly researched, high level data from Cana about the trajectory of cremation over the last two decades and projections into the future. And what's so cool about Cana's data is that their projections for the next few years have been accurate for the last decade, like spot on accurate, because this is such high level research. And it's really fascinating. You know, the average American cremation rate has been increasing by about 1.52% steadily year over year for the last decade. And it has continued to do that until about, I think 2050 is when it plateaus and they think the market's going to be saturated. All of this information is available on Kena's website. What is Kena? The Cremation Association of North America. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I, I do a lot of research on their website and, um, yeah, they're a real data-based um, organization, which I love as a researcher. And yeah, and so there's really good information. And NFDA, the National Funeral Directors Association, has data that is in line and supports this as well. So I personally believe that green burial is not more popular because funeral directors don't really understand it and think that it might somehow cut into their business security and stability monetarily. And so they don't tell families about green options, either because they don't know about them themselves or because they're afraid that it's going to somehow jeopardize their business, which I understand you're trying to pay your employees, provide jobs, put food on your family's table. But we also have a lot of data from Harvard Business School of, and you know IBM Business Institute Research Center about consumers across demographics wanting green options. And Kate Spoilston has some staggering numbers about like something close to 90% of death planners said, if I were offered greener options, I would take them in funeral care specifically. So I think that there's a real opportunity here to 
provide greener options for your families and let them know what the eco impact of death is. And it's we're, it's just ripe for someone in the death care space to jump on for sure. So fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alexandra. I, I think again, just, um, this, this opportunity to do something with the cremated remains that you have kind of lying around in a box somewhere. Yes. Um, it's, there's something about that that really, um, brings some completion to yes. something. And I know, I, I mean, I speak from experience, we have some cremated remains and, um, you know, we, yeah, we kind of meant to, and we were gonna, and there's, yes. there's a place we could put them in a, you know, place in Boulder that maybe is where they should go. But I don't know. My husband and I don't feel absolutely certain that that's the right spot. And so the idea that we could have something that could go multiple places and be this weather resistant stone feels really, really strong. Absolutely. And it's easier to travel with. TSA is not going to stop you. There's no fear of it spilling out in your backpack on the way up the mountain or in your suitcase, um, you know, on the train or whatever. So yeah, we really, we, we do want to just give families a better experience with cremation. So I love it. Well, you can find out more about Parting Stone at partingstone, P-A-R-T-I-N-G, stone.com. And you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks again, Alexandra, for your time. Thanks so much, Diane. Thank you.